The message I wanted to share with you, uh, I felt like God kind of put in my heart as I was listening to, to Pastor Mario talk about this, um, this reality of discipleship being a family thing. Uh, and I think the emphasis of discipleship being uh, at home in the family uh, is so significant. As, as a youth pastor, uh, sometimes it's easy, I think, for, for people to, to mistake the idea of youth ministry as this is where my kids are going to learn how to be Christians, and, and actually that's, that's not the case. Uh, and, and while I hope and, and absolutely work towards making sure that the youth group uh, is a place, an environment where kids are given the opportunity to explore their faith, to grow deeper in Christ, the majority of what they learn will come from their parents will come from watching those around them. And so today I really wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the sermon title today is a, is a chip off the old block. Uh, it's, a, it's a common phrase that, uh, that is used to describe the similarities of uh, a child with their parent. Um, I, my dad, uh, it was actually, it would have been his birthday on, uh, on Wednesday, the 27th, uh, he would have been 60 years old. And, and it's, it's weird. Um, I, I sound like my dad. Like, in, in, in weird ways. Like, I find myself actually, uh, when I cough or I sneeze, it's like he's behind me. And I remember the first time this happened. Like, uh, we, were, we were in Saskatchewan before we came to, to Quebec. And um, my dad would just show up on a Sunday morning. Like, he lived five hours away in Edmonton, and he would just drive. He would get up early and drive. And so, like, I'd come in Sunday morning, and there'd be my dad sitting in the, in the front pew, and he's just kind of like, well, okay, Dad, you know how to use a phone? You know, like, give a guy a warning. And so then the first time that I, that I really sneezed and I thought it was my dad, I thought it was my dad. I freaked out because I'm just like, did he show up again? You know, like, has he come from, from all the way in Edmonton to visit? But I realized it was me. And now every time I, I, I hear him, I hear my cough or my sneeze or, or sometimes when I'm, <laughs> when I'm yelling at my kids, I know it's hard to believe, but I do that every once in a while, <laughs> I hear my dad. And I remember as a kid, people saying like, oh, you're just like your dad. You know, my aunts and uncles, you know, you look like just like your father did when he was your age. And, and even the picture evidence of that doesn't, I don't want to believe that, but I, I've kind of come to this place in my life where I realize actually, yeah, I'm just like my dad. It took a little while for me to like be comfortable with that, but, but it's true. And I'm not exactly like my dad, but the similarities, the reality is inescapable. So I got this picture of a, of a nice block that, um, uh, you know, there's a, little, there's a little one and then there's the big one. And it's just like you have this cube that comes from a bigger cube. And the, the next picture I have is actually, I find to be a very significant one. Oh, yeah, go back for a second, sorry. And part of what I want to talk about today is this reality that, uh, okay, so the chip off the block is one thing. So my son looks like me, right? And I look at my son and I think, you know, when I'm in those few times, the rare moments when I'm yelling at them, I have this realization that oftentimes I'm yelling at them for activities and behaviors, proclivities that were in me, <laughs> were, often still are. And I'm frustrated and upset with myself at my son. But there's another reality. If I am my son's father and I have a father in heaven that I am an indication of that heavenly father to my son, and when he looks at me, there is a very real 
formation of his understanding of who God is. And so that the chip considers the block. And what he sees or she sees there informs what they think about God. And so this next picture, you know, you have this, these two people here. Here's the father and the son, and it's, it's profound. It's profound. I think you could just uh, stare at this picture for a while and contemplate it. You know, and there's this, this active giving of the father to the son. This is me. I, I, I've sacrificed for you. I've bled for you. I've sweat for you. I've given up things so that you could have. But in that block that is being handed over, while the father can acknowledge the things that he's done for his son or daughter, doesn't realize that as he's giving those things, he's also giving things that maybe he doesn't want to pass on as well. Maybe an attitude, a temper, maybe, maybe a habit, a thinking, an understanding. And that we think about where we come, we are very much formed, both psychologically, emotionally, but physically, by our parents. The story I wanted to look at today to kind of like wrestle with this idea is, is, is kind of an amazing one, and it's one that we could spend a lot of time on. It's the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And, and I don't, hopefully you know the end of the story. Isaac actually doesn't get sacrifice. It's in Genesis 22. It's verses 1 to 19. If you'd like, you can turn to it now. But uh, I'm just going to read through it for you. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the, the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the, 
sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to this, his young men. They arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. It's a pretty significant piece of scripture. I don't know if you had to choose uh, whose shoes to fill in that story, who would you choose? When I, when I read scripture and I think about like, well, if I was in that situation, what would I do? Like, I, I would much rather be in Isaac's situation than in Abraham's, personally. I don't want to have to make that kind of choice. I look at the three characters in this story, and I kind of ask myself, you know, like, what are they thinking? What are they going through? And in the scripture, as we've just read to you, it's, it's not very explicit about these things, per se. But let's take a look at it. So Isaac, what is this guy thinking? Now, I know typically when we look at this passage, oftentimes it's all about Abraham and what Abraham is doing, and, and rightfully so. What, what, what is going on in Abraham's life in this moment is huge. Not, not, not trivial in any sense of the word. But what about Isaac, the son? The one who's watching, the one who's going along. Some of the things that are being said here I find really interesting. Go to the next slide. So God comes to Abraham, gives him this test, and the next morning Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, lifted up his eyes, saw the place. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, if I was Isaac, okay, and I would see this, I probably wouldn't think anything different. My God worships the God of the universe. So I worship the God of the universe. Part of the way that we do that is we give sacrifice. I know how we do that. Okay, we get the wood together. We get the fire together. We go to a place. We set aside ourselves for God, and and we sacrifice and, and burn it to God's glory, to indicate that we are in relationship with him and that we abide by what God has laid out before us. I, as I'm sure Isaac didn't think anything of it. Except there's something missing. And I'm sure at this moment, he probably didn't really even notice that. It's amazing what my kids do notice and what they don't notice. And, and it doesn't really say how old Isaac is. Is this, is this a 12-year-old? Is this an 18-year-old? I don't know. But as a young man, he's probably not very observant. At least that's my experience for the most part with young men and, and my own. One of the other things I love so much about this story, too, is the obvious and striking parallels to Christ. Like, and when I look at this one passage in verse 6, and he laid the wood on his son Isaac. There was another son that carried his altar. And so, as we go through this, I just want to keep kind of pointing out this reality that, like, this is a foreshadowing of what God was going to do for us. In the next few verses, it says, Isaac said to his father, My father, finally coming to some realizations, Abraham says, here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now, I'm sure Isaac probably thought, yeah, of course God's going to provide. And that could, be, that could be anything. I wonder, though, if he started to consider what God had provided Abraham. I wonder if he thought that, like, the thing that God had given Abraham was himself. And that he was a provision. That he was a promise. Now, I don't know if he was really thinking about that or if he just kind of went, okay, Dad, and was following along. But then it kind of gets a little intense. In verse 9 and 10, it says, When they reached the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. (laughs) What's Isaac saying in that moment, Uh, Dad? (laughs) What are you doing? Pretty sure this is not how we're going to catch whatever God's going to provide. Can you imagine the look in Abraham's eyes as he's tying his son up? And what that would have had, how that would have impacted Isaac? Dad, what are you doing? Dad, what's going on? Does he start now thinking about the fact that he has been a provision to Abraham, his father? That God promised him and that he is the answer of that promise? Abraham reaches out, took the knife to slaughter his son. But then, thankfully, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Abraham, Abraham, wait, hold on. Don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. What is Isaac thinking in that moment as he looks at what his father was about to do? What does that tell him about who God is? God's just the kind of being that's going to ask you to kill your family? And you're going to go along with it? Dad, what are we doing here? Or does he think, oh, phew, a ram showed up. It doesn't have to be me this time. And again, I think of a story uh, uh, shared by Ravi Zacharias about when he's talking to uh, a Muslim leader about this story. He says, until we realize that on a mountain, not far from where they were having the conversation, God sent his son to die for all of us, we're going to be offering up our children. So Isaac now has this view of who God is, and it's informed by this episode. Now, maybe you haven't uh, built an altar for your children that you are being asked to sacrifice them upon. But the reality is they're looking at you and thinking about who God is, whether or not they even think that uh, intentionally about it. And so did you. 
that you all have a father, a mother. That their actions, their choices have informed the way in which that you look at God. Well, what was the road that Abraham walked? You know, as I grow, as I grew up, well, mostly I just got older. I haven't really grown up, but as I got older, I think back to all those times when I would question my dad, and I would say, "Like, Dad, what? Why? Why are you doing this? This seems dumb." And even now, my son does the same thing to me, and and. And I realized what my dad said at that time when I was young, how true it is, you know, you'll understand later on. Now I understand, and, and all I have to say to my son is, you know, wait, you'll see. But as Abraham was going, like, what was the, 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 the experience that he was having? You know, first it says in the beginning here, uh, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Look, God knows exactly what he's asking Abraham to do. It's not like God saying, hmm, could you just do this as an afterthought? Your son, your one and only son, the one you love, take him to the mountain I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, at that time, uh, children's sacrifice was a regular way of worshiping God. This is not necessarily outside of what the context would have encouraged. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I think something is significant here that we really need to, to pay attention to is the fact that this comes from God. That God is the one asking him to do that. And the reason why I bring it up, and I'm going to come back to this point, is that like, I think that we can build a lot of altars that we think are, we're trying to praise God and glorify God with. And oftentimes, and I say this as a pastor knowing very well that the people who often do this are pastors, is that we can sacrifice our children on an altar that God never asked us to build. But God is the one who is leading Abraham. And he's not just, he didn't just send him off, but he says, look, go to the mountain, which I will show you. God went along with him. But who is this son, this one and only son, the son that that Abraham loves? It's a son of the covenant. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, his name isn't Abraham yet, it's Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who will bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes this promise to Abraham. He, he says, I'm going to make many nations come from you. It's hard to do that without any offspring. Now, Abraham, at this point in time, is 70 years old. He's like, okay, I believe you can do anything, God, but it's, you know, time's running out here. I'm 70. Anyone here have a, a child past, like, 45, 50? No, that's crazy talk. He's 70, and God's making this promise to him. And that promise is Isaac. <laughs> Which brings us to the next part. This son is a miracle. Because at 70, that's not when Abraham received his son. Not at 80, not at 90, at 100. He was 100 years old when he had a son. When God tells him in chapter 17 that, oh, I'm going to give you a son. Sarah is going to bear you a son. He laughs. He falls down on his face. 
He probably passes out a little bit. He's old. And yet God does what he says he's going to do. In verse 5, it says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's interesting. What is Abraham thinking? Okay, (laughs) there's this hope that I have that God won't actually ask me to give up my son. That's too much. That's too much. But where does Abraham come from? How many things has he seen and how many uh, mistakes has he made that God has used to build him up and to form him into the man that God wanted to be the father of the promise that God gave? I think Abraham hopes against hope that God will save him from what he has asked. Abraham took the wood and burnt offering, laid it on his, Isaac, his son. He took in his hand, the fire and the knife, and they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, my father, oh man, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, oh, he knows, he knows, he knows what I'm about to do, how does he know, did God tell him? Does he know that I'm taking him to sacrifice him? Here I am, my son. It doesn't hide from him, it doesn't run away from the difficult path that God has called him to. Here I am, my son. And that hope comes out. Isaac asks, behold the father and the, and the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham hopes it's not my son, but God will provide. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I can't help but think that 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 altar wasn't built with tears. What is Isaac thinking as he sees his father weeping over this altar? And, And do they stop and think about Who is this God that's asking us to do this? Do you you think Abraham, as he's walking, leading his son to be slaughtered, doesn't stop and think, like, is this worth it? Is God really worth it? The relief Abraham must have felt to hear that angel. Now it says he took the knife for Ford to slaughter his son. Oftentimes when you see pictures of this scene, you got Abraham with his, his hand raised. I, I don't know, you know how close he was to a dropping that. If he stood there kind of just like, anytime, Lord, anytime I'm ready for you to stop me. Or if he had this inexorable march towards accomplishing what God had asked him to do and hoped against hope that God would show up in time. And God provides Well, and here we have this last uh, figure, God. It begins with saying, God tested Abraham. I think this is a hard thing for us uh, to really, well, maybe, maybe, I'm not going to include you. This is a hard thing for me. This is a hard thing for me. Why would God test like this? If he's all-knowing, doesn't he know the answer? Why does he got to put me through this? 
I'm sure Abraham was thinking the same thing. When he hears, take your son, your only son Isaac, to whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Again, God goes with him. Just as Isaac says to his dad, Father, Abraham says, here I am, son. In the same way, God is walking alongside Abraham, showing him, look, this is the mountain where you're going to make this sacrifice. I am with you. It finishes with God praising Abraham, making a declaration. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What if Abraham didn't do it? Would God have thought differently about sending his own son? I don't think so. But it humbles me to wonder about what God has asked me to do, however difficult, and and how many times I've disobeyed or haven't done it, and what I have missed out on. That Abraham is part of the amazing story of God and his creation and what he has done to save all of us. And that came through his obedience to something that many of us would probably have balked at. Many of us might have said, no thank you, this isn't worth it. That in the very way that Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, God actually did. For he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whomever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Isaac actually is not really, he's not really a huge character in the Genesis account. You know, you got Abraham, he's got several stories, Isaac's got a few, and then Jacob, Israel's got a bunch. Go to the next slide. I can't help but think that Abraham's test is Isaac's formation, though. There's this moment in Genesis 26. Uh, Isaac is kind of in between uh, places that he's living. It says in 26.3, God tells him, Sojourn in this land. I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. almost word for word what God had said to Abraham on that hill. I can't imagine the way in which that, even if Isaac walks away from there, what he must think of God as some sort of overpowering, tyrannical figure who would ask something so significant. I I came to a realization not that long ago uh, about the way in which that I view God because of my dad. And I had kind of an epiphany. Well, I guess it's not just like with the Holy Spirit. 
We were doing this exercise where we were praying about the way in which that we view God the Father, and he revealed two stories in my life. The first story was when I was three years old. I remember this story still because of how it traumatized me. It was my birthday. Me and my father were going out to the park. For my birthday, I had received a kite, okay? You may not think this is a significant thing, but in the three-year-old's world, that's a big deal. And so we're out there, and it's a windy day. It's awesome, perfect kite weather. And we're going, and this thing is going up, and it's going farther. And then like a kid, I'm like, higher, Dad, higher. And he's just like, oh, son, I'm going to show you. And he keeps going, and he keeps going, he keeps going. Well, it's not attached to the end of that, and it keeps going all the way away. <laughs> so then you've got an inconsolable three-year-old and this six-foot-two man walking around a neighborhood looking for something they're never going to find. And, and that stuck with me. My dad, on my 12th birthday, got me a kite because he wanted me to just be quiet about it. There, I replaced it. The second story uh, that God brought to my mind was this. Uh, I played football growing up, and I loved playing football. And, and there was actually a point in time in my life where I thought about, you know what, maybe I don't love football as much as I think I love football. I think I want to quit. And my dad was actually the one that said, like, nope, you're going to do it. And he forced me to do it that year. And I'm thankful that he did because I love football. And, and I was a kid. I didn't know anything. And I would have made a mistake. But the reality is, for me to go to football, see, my dad, he worked, uh, he worked a night shift. And so he couldn't drive me to practice. I had to usually get myself to practice. And, and sometimes that would be on the bus uh, or sometimes I would bike. And, you know, a 12, 13-year-old biking about the equivalent from here to, well, from here to uh, Fairview Mall is 5.4 kilometers, roughly. And I would bike six to get to football practice. And then after football practice, I would, I would have to bike home as well. I was so excited to perform for my dad. I wanted him to see me play. And I could, my dad was like, you think I'm loud? My dad was so loud. I could hear him anywhere on the football field. And that's hard. Normally when in a field, you can't hear anyone. But I can definitely hear my dad. But I grew this kind of perception that I needed to take care of myself so that I could get, so I could perform for my dad to get his praise and approval. And so God showed me through these two stories. He showed me two things. And I want to go through the applications first. And I'm going to get to them. But the first thing, as a parent and influencer in our church, is the altar we are building for our young, the one God asks us to build. This is a serious question that I think we need to consider. How are we working towards developing and discipling those around us? What does my example and the way that I follow Christ teach them about who Jesus is? Even the way in which we disagree tells them something about who Jesus is. And how much more so than the way in which that we love one another. Jesus said, it is by your love for one another that people will know you're my disciples. The second application. Who was or wasn't our father? Because maybe you had a dad that informed the way you look at God, maybe you didn't have a dad and that informed the way you looked at God. How has God revealed himself to us through that person or the lack thereof? 
And I say this as an application because I want you to pray about this. Because it's significant in the way in which that you interact with Jesus and it has an impact on the way in which that you're teaching those around you to do the same. And lastly, what do we need to forgive our fathers for? Because it's cluttering our image of God, our father. See, when my dad lost my kite, I stopped trusting him with my pleasure and my joy. And for a three-year-old's perspective, that's a reasonable thing, but when I apply that to God, my father, that is not. And if I can't trust him with my joy, if I can't trust him with my pleasure, then I'm going to try and hold those things closely to myself, and it's going to come between me and him. And I needed to forgive my dad for losing my kite, and I needed to realize that my heavenly father was someone I could trust with my joy and my pleasure. I needed to realize that I didn't have to get myself to prepare myself so I could perform to receive the praise of my father. I needed to forgive my dad for working a hard job and making sure that I had everything that I needed uh, because those weren't bad things. I needed to forgive him because I had taken this image and I had given it to God. And so now I'm working to try and be the best kind of Christian, the best kind of pastor I can be so that I can perform for him that I might receive his praise. And the problem with that is, is that God's praise, his love for me is unconditional. That I receive that on the very day that I first met him, whether I recognize that or not. And so what are the things that are in your life that have formed you because of the relationships, those paternal and maternal relationships that maybe you need to forgive because they're cluttering your image of God. Because as we remove those things, as we become a better reflection of Jesus Christ, as his light flows out from us, it then goes and forms and shapes those who come behind. And that we don't need to build altars if God hasn't asked us to. But let's build something that will really praise and glorify his name. Not just in this generation, but in generations to come. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, what an amazing thing to be able to say. That you have chosen us, that you have adopted us, that you have made us yours in the blood of your son. And that in him, not only are we your family, your children, but that we have a new life and that we are new beings. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied yourself for our sake, humbling yourself even to the point of the cross. I pray and ask that you would reveal God to us where we have maybe cluttered our image of you with our parents, with our father, with our mother. God, is there something that I need to forgive my earthly parents, whether they are in my life or out of my life, because it's created a bond on my heart and is coming between me and you. Lord God, I pray that you would give strength. I pray that you would give discernment. I pray that you would give wisdom. Lord God, I pray that you would put uh, us on each other's hearts, that we would pray for one another, that we would encourage one another. And God, I pray and ask that you would use us to raise up the next generation, that for all of what this world is, and as we can rail against it, God, that you are above all these things and you are greater than these things, that you are greater than he that is in the world, and that you have victory and we have victory in you. 
God, I just pray these things in your name. Amen. For the benediction... uh...